well over a year ago that we started this series entitled With All My Heart. We looked at, been looking at seven things, seven commands or seven actions that God wants us to do with all of our heart. So let's see how good your memory is. Let's see if you can remember all seven of those things. So I will say this, just for a little competition's sake, the early service folks, they got all seven. So y'all can't, you know, y'all can't disappoint. So what's the first thing? And by the, I'll give you a hint. It's the greatest commandment in all the Bible. We're to do what with all of our heart? Love the Lord our God with all of our heart. You remember what the second thing was? Love your neighbor Well, that's the second greatest commandment. Well, what was the second thing attached to with all my heart? Seek. There you go. Seek the Lord with all my heart. Somebody said the third one over here. Serve the Lord with all of our heart. Somebody said the fourth one over here. Obey the Lord with all of our heart. Remember the fifth one? That's number six. Return to the Lord with all of our heart. The fifth one was trust the Lord with all of our heart. And now we're on number seven, which is what? Y'all can't forget number seven. I mean, we've been doing this for two months now. Praise the Lord with all of our heart. So, thank you for remembering those. Love, seek, serve, obey, trust, return, praise. Those are seven phrases, connect, seven words or seven actions connected to with all my heart. Now, this hasn't been, just, hopefully this just hasn't just been information. Oh, yeah, okay, that's good to know. Good to know, seven things connected with that phrase with all my heart. No, I hope it's been more than that. I hope it's been a challenge. I hope it's been a reminder and a, uh, for us to actually do these things and work on these things in our life. So I want to review not just those seven things, but I want to review the praise part that we started back uh, in August as we start talking about praising the Lord with all of our heart. So who is the object of our praise? God. God. God alone. Nobody else deserves our praise. And who should be praising the Lord? Every creature. The Bible says all creation should be praising Him, but, but who specifically? Who, who should be praising the Lord specifically? His people. His people. That's right. I mean, if, we, if, if God's people aren't praising Him, then goodness, who should be or who is? When should we praise the Lord? Well, we should praise the Lord when we celebrate together. Every time we're gathered together, we should celebrate the Lord. When there, when there are reasons to praise the Lord. Uh, but what about when we're facing battles? When you're being tempted. Should you praise the Lord when you're tempted? Yeah. Remember, temptation comes to all of us. But what if we use praise as a distraction from that temptation? What if every time you were tempted, you praised the Lord for something? What about during trials, hardships, difficulties? Should praise be taking place then? Certainly. So we also talked about when we see God's mighty works. And when I say God's mighty works, I don't mean some grandiose miracle. But I mean just when God is at work every day in your life. You woke up this morning, right? You got out of a bed this morning, didn't you? You had a roof over your head last night, didn't you? You went to the sink this morning and turned the knob and what came out? Water. Running water. You went to the closet and you found your clothes were still there. You got in the car and you cranked it and you drove to church. All these things are mighty, God's mighty works that He wants us to praise Him for. But we seem to overlook them because you know why? We expect that they're always supposed to be there. When we see God's mighty works. Also, when we're among unbelievers. 
We think praise is just supposed to happen, and certainly it's easier when we're surrounded by people of like faith. But what about when we go to work, or when we're surrounded by people who are not believers, as we just sang, I believe. People say, I don't believe. Are we still supposed to praise God then? The Bible talks about that, yes, we are. We looked at that. And when should we praise? With every, as long as we live. As long as we have breath, we should be praising the Lord. About a month ago, we looked at the, what three definitions of praise. What is praise? It's the act of attributing reverent honor and greatness to God. It is also the act of magnifying God's name and character. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And then it's also the act of acknowledging God's sovereignty over all matters. Remember we said praise is more than a phrase. It's not just saying praise the Lord every time I, I, something bad happens or I'm going through a trial or tribulation or even when something good. It's more than a phrase. When you're praising the Lord in all situations, you're acknowledging that God is sovereign over that. When, when you know, you're delayed for some reason, that person in front of you uh, is sitting at the red light and doesn't realize it's turned green and he's sitting there and you have to sit through another whole cycle. And you praise the Lord, even though you're, you're aggravated, but you're praising the Lord. Why? Because you recognize that 30 seconds down the road that you got delayed at that red light, you might have been crossing an intersection where you would have been sideswiped and killed or your car destroyed. You don't know those things. You don't know, you and I see some of the things God's protected us from, but we don't know all the things God's protected us from. Only He does. Recognizing God's sovereignty over all things. That's what praise is. How do we praise the Lord? We talked about singing with our voices. We talked about speaking. The power of life and death is in the tongue. It's more than just singing here with our praises. It's how we use our mouth every single day. What comes out of our mouth and the things we write even. Uh, speaking and singing with our bodies, bowing and kneeling, clapping, raising our hands, and, and yes, Baptist, even dancing, the Bible says, unto the Lord. We praise with music and instruments. We praise God with our gifts and our offerings. And then last week we looked at we praise God with our daily lives, through our marriages, through our homes, our jobs, and our careers, and our education, even our leisure activities. All of those are acts of praise unto God. So that brings us up to the conclusion of this praise uh, series as well as the conclusion of the With All My Heart series. Today is the last day. Aren't you sad? I am. I'm kind of wishing there were an eighth one, you know, but with all my heart, praise. Why do we need to praise the Lord? What good is praise? Now, we could answer that in many ways, but I'm just going to share three of them with you this morning. In Psalm chapter 92, verse 1 and 2, he says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is good to declare your loving kindness in the morning. It is good to declare your faithfulness every night. It's good. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is beautiful. So what's the good of praise? What's the benefit of it? Number one, and we've covered this somewhat already, but praise lifts our soul above our circumstances. Praise lifts our soul above our circumstances. 
That soul, you know what your soul is? The real you? Your body is still in the middle of those circumstances, that need, that problem. But God wants to lift your soul above those circumstances. Psalm chapter 30 and verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You see, problems and difficulties and troubles, the circumstances of life, even just the daily grind, just doing life, can, can wear on us. Praise and, and, and using praise daily has a way of lifting us up above the daily grind and turning for us our sourness of life into something to celebrate and to sing. Our soul, that's our mind, our will, and our emotions. What we think, what we want, what we feel. Now what if what you think, what you want, and what you feel was all directed by God. Was all about God. Was all unto God. That's what praise does. It lifts us above those circumstances. He said, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He said, they shall mount it with wings on eagles, soaring above. So you see, God wants to lift your soul above those circumstances. God's not telling you, if you praise me, I'll change your circumstances. God can change your circumstances. Many times God does, but he's not promising that he's going to make your life perfect. Because if you want your life to be problem-free, then you're what, you know what you're asking for? Heaven. Death. Because the only way you're going to get a problem-free life is to die and go to heaven. To go to be with the Lord. Otherwise, you're down here with the rest of us in problem-ridden world. But God doesn't want us to be defeated. Psalm chapter 42, I want you to have your Bibles or follow me on the screen, but I'm going to read the whole chapter of chapter 42 and 43. Let this word minister to you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mitzar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. 
The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you're the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You ever felt like that? Have you ever come to the point in your life, it probably so and many times, your soul would, was disquieted? What does that mean? It wasn't at peace. It wasn't at rest. You were troubled. Something was bothering you. A burden was heavy upon you. And your soul was downcast. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? This is David, and he's talking to himself. Don't lie. You know you do the same thing. But David was telling his soul. He was talking to his mind. He was talking to his will. He was talking to his emotions. He said, soul, yes, we're cast down. Soul, yes, we have some reasons to be discouraged. We are in tough circumstances. But soul, I want you to hear this. Hope in God. He still is worthy of praise. And he wouldn't let himself get to that point of deep discouragement. He kept talking to himself, hope in God. Hope in God. How many of you know that when you're discouraged and your soul is troubled, that it changes your countenance? I mean, can you walk around like this going, you know, people can't. I mean, we do. Honestly, we do. Sometimes we don't feel like smiling, but we, we may give a ministry smile because, you know, people need it. But, you know, typically when we're discouraged, we, our faces show it. You can look at a person's face and see they're carrying something. That's why David says, hope in God. For I shall yet praise him and God will help my countenance. God will even change the expression on my face. He will turn it into, in, from mourning into praise. One morning, a devout Christian by the name of R.C. Chapman was asked how he was feeling. And he said, I'm burdened this morning. But his happy countenance contradicted his words. So the questioner exclaimed in surprise, Are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? Yes, but it's a wonderful burden. It's an overabundance of blessings for which I cannot find enough time or words to express my gratitude. Seeing the puzzled look on the face of his friend, Chapman said with a smile, I'm referring to Psalm 68, 19 that says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. He said, that describes my situation. 
listen, you have a problem. You have a need. You have a burden this morning. Something that's weighing you down. That's bothering you. God says one of the benefits of praise is that it will lift your soul above your circumstances. God wants you to change, exchange your burden for His. Jesus says, Come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For I am meek and lowly of heart. That's what Chapman realized. He gave his burden to the Lord. And the Lord gave him his burden, which was all the burden of great blessings. Listen, y'all. I hope you understand. When you compare your problems to your blessings, there should be no comparison. Your problems do not outweigh your blessings. You're more burdened with God's blessings than you are problems. You just don't see that. You don't see that. Because you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the problems and not the blessings. Jesus showed up at a synagogue one day. And he stepped up to the podium and he took the scroll and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he read. And he read it and then he said, today this has been fulfilled in your sight. In other words, he was claiming to be the fulfillment of this promise in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's what Jesus wants to be for you. He wants to take that burden and that problem. He wants you to give it to him. It doesn't mean he's going to take it away. He may, but he may not. But he wants to give you in its place, that garment of praise. He wants to give you in its place of those ashes beauty. So that you can see the beauty of all that He is and all that He's done for you. You see, focus is everything. Focus is everything. When you're looking at your problems and you think they're huge or that they're many, then all you're seeing is those problems. Let me illustrate that. Everybody take their hand flat and put it right in front of your face. Now, look straight ahead. What do you see? Your hand. Now, that hand is your problem. It's your need. It's your burden. Don't we all wish we could just remove our burdens and our problems? You know what? If I had the power to remove every problem and burden in my life, I would never have one. 
I don't have that power for every problem and burden and need to be removed. They're always there. Let me show you what praise does. Everybody put your hand back in front of your face. Now, I can't see you with my hand right in front of my face. And I really can't see God because I'm focused on my burden, my need. Now, everybody do this. But if I do this with my head, I look up in praise and I look to God. Now I can see God. And guess what? Hey, y'all. See y'all too. Focus. Perspective is everything. The problem with God's people is we think we have more problems than we have blessings. God says, no, you don't. I've overburned you. I have bountiful, bountifully blessed you every single day. I've loaded you with benefits. Now praise me for those things and you will see that those problems that you think are so big and so many are not that big of a deal compared to the weight of the blessings I've poured out upon you. Praise lifts us above. It lifts our eyes. It gets them off of our circumstances and on to God where they belong. And you will see as you do that that God changes the way you feel and the way you look. You won't walk around like you've been sucking sour lemons. It'll change your countenance. Praise lifts us above our circumstances. Praise makes God, secondly, big in our eyes. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 23. The Bible says, God says, whoever offers praise glorifies me. That word glorify means to be, to make heavy, to make weighty, to make big. So when we're praising God, we're making Him. Now, He's already big. He's already great. We're not adding anything to God. It's just that it makes Him bigger in our eyes. It makes Him bigger. To illustrate this, I want you to turn or look at the screen of 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. This is where little shepherd boy David brought food to his brothers who were soldiers in the army of Israel. And there he heard this Philistine giant named Goliath mocking God and God's people. So in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, speaking of himself, I'll go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a kid. And he's a man of war since he's been a kid. But David said to Saul, I used to keep my father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, and this, is, this phrase makes me smile because Saul said, Go and the Lord be with you. Here's what I hear Saul saying. Okay, good luck. <laughs> it's kind of what I hear Saul saying. Uh, whatever. We'll plan your funeral. May God be with you. God help you. If you're insistent... Here's what happened. You know the story. Verse 41. 
So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, David, now Goliath is taunting him with words. David's not deterred. I love David's speech here. Then David said to the Philistine, okay, it's my turn to talk. You come to me with sword and spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now let me ask you a question. Who was bigger in the eyes of King Saul and the Israelite army? God or Goliath? Goliath. Who was bigger in the eyes of David the shepherd boy? God or Goliath? God. You have a Goliath in your life. Probably more than one. It's staring you down and it's intimidating you. It's telling you you're a loser. You'll never overcome this problem. Your God's nothing. And some of you are listening to that voice. You have a puny God. Praise gets your eyes off of the problem and helps you see the bigness of God. Get your eyes off Goliath. You're going to, have, you're going to face many Goliaths in your life. And if you're constantly looking at Goliath, you're constantly defeated. You're constantly shaking in fear. You're constantly worried. You're constantly disquieted of soul. You're constantly cast down. You're constantly in the mully grub. And you're constantly frowning. There's no way you can do that and praise at the same time. But the moment you start praising God, the moment you lift your eyes, the moment you lift your voice, the moment you count your blessings and see that they outnumber your Goliaths, then Goliaths begin to shrink and God begins to be glorified, get bigger in your life. Whoever offers praise makes me bigger. That's what glorify means in their life. The children of Israel come to the edge of the promised land. Crossing, about to cross the, not about to cross the Jordan River, but they send 12 spies in out. And those 12 spies, they see the abundance of fruit and the largeness of the land, but they also see the largeness of the people and that they're giants in the land. They come back and report to Moses, and, and 10 of those 12 spies said, we cannot do it. They're giants in the land. They'll squash us like grasshoppers. And Joshua and Caleb said, oh no, we can do it because our God is with us and he's commanded us to go. Now let me ask you another question. Who was bigger in the eyes of the Israelites? Was it God or the giants? It was the giants. Who was bigger in the eyes of Joshua and Caleb? God. Let me ask you again, who's big in your life? You know that person in your life or that problem in your life or that struggle in your life that's shouting at you and demeaning you and, and causing you to fear and shake and work? You need to get your eyes off of that and praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. You said, I don't have anything to praise the Lord for. Praise is not about your circumstances. Praise is about who? Who's the object of our praise again? God. It's about who God is. Has your circumstances changed who God is? Does the fact that you have a problem change that God is a problem solver? Does the fact that you have a need change the fact that God's a need meter? No. Do the fact that you're sick change the fact that God's a healer? No. Praise God for who He is. And you'll begin to see God grow big and your problems grow small. Not, they may not go away. They still, still may be there for a long time. He may leave them there. You see, Paul and Silas, again, we use them. I love that story, that account. They did the right thing. They were telling others about Jesus. And they got arrested. And they got put in a prison, locked and shackled, hand and feet in the dungeon. Now what would I have been doing? Knowing me? I'd have been feeling sorry for myself. Really? This is the thanks I get? God, is this what you're going to do? I've been trying to do the right thing. And these people, the ignorant, stupid people, they threw me in prison. I mean, a lot of good it does to serve God. A lot of good it does to praise the Lord. A lot of good it does to, to, to tell others what you told me to tell them. You throw me in prison, God, I'd have been feeling sorry for myself. Kind of like Jonah. But not Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were human just like me, but, but they didn't do what I probably would have done or at least would have started to do. The Bible says they were praying and they were singing. Praying and singing. And it lifted their soul above their circumstances. And there were people who around there who were listening. Those other prisoners were listening. That jailer was listening. And God changed their circumstances in an instant. God doesn't always do that, but he did for them. The shackles fell off. The prison doors flew open. It was an open invitation for them to run and get, be free. But they stayed put. And the jailer came. He was going to kill himself because he knew he would have to give account for these escaped prisoners. But Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all still here. And the, and the jailer said, sirs, and I'm going to put it in layman's terms if you will paraphrase a little bit he said sir whatever you got I want it what must I do to be saved is what he said but what he's saying is I want what you got are you living a life that others want what you got if you're always griping and complaining and moaning and groaning they don't want that they already got that they want to know that you got something different, that you're going through the same garbage in your life that they're going through, but you have a different spirit and a different attitude, and it makes God bigger in their eyes so they can see Him better in your life. And they want what you got. Are we making the world thirsty? I close with this last point. Praise teaches future generations of God's goodness. Psalm chapter 145 and verse 4 says this, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Psalm 45 and verse 17, I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore the people shall praise you forever and ever. Psalm 78 and verse 4 we will not hide them from our children. 
telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Psalm 79, 13. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. And Psalm 102 and verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Do you have a problem? Do you have a need? Do you have a burden? Some of you may be like me that when I have a problem or need or burden, I tend to keep it close. Sometimes even from my family. I don't know why I do that. But I want to encourage us this morning to do something different because praise is about future generations. It's about us, but it's also about future generations. The next time you have a problem or need or burden, gather your family together, your household family. Maybe if you don't have anybody in your household anymore, uh, gather when you're together with your family and, and say, Give me a couple of minutes and let me share something with y'all. We have a need. Our washing machine broke down. No, not, this has not happened to us. I'm just, this is an illustration. You sit your family down and you say, kids, our washing machine broke down this week. Y'all don't need to go to school in dirty clothes. God wants us to take care of the things that, that he's given us. He's given us these clothes and God wants us to take care of them, keep them clean. So I believe God wants to provide a washing machine for us. Let's pray for God to provide a way for that washing machine to get fixed or to provide us with a new washing machine. So let's pray. So we all pray. So I'm sharing my burden. I'm sharing my need, my trouble with that, my children. And then we watch. And we thank the Lord. Lord, thank you that you're going to meet this need in some way. We, we don't know yet, but we thank you and we praise you. And then when God meets that need, you reassemble the family together and you say, see what God has done. Now let's praise the Lord. Let's thank him. And we pray or we sing or whatever it is. We praise the Lord. What you're doing is you're instilling in your children. You're instilling in your grandchildren hope, trust, faith. You're telling them the story of how God has, pre, has, has uh, met your need, provided for you. You're showing, him, showing them the goodness of God. Remember from last week, we looked at that word that talked about inscribe, engrave, engrafo means to engrave and to write it down. And each of us are writing a book. You're writing a book. And others are reading your book. You know who's reading your book the closest? Those who live in your household. Those who you love the most and who love you the most, your family. They're the ones reading your book the closest. Perhaps, like Psalm 102 said, this will be written for the generation to come. There's a generation yet to be born. I have four outside the womb grandchildren and one inside the womb grandchildren and probably a few half a dozen more who knows they're still they're still to come what are they going to know about their grandfather's life after I'm gone 
They're going to know it through my children. That I've instilled in them, hopefully, to learn how to trust and follow the Lord. Years ago, my wife bought us this little journal thing to write life experiences in. And we write in it from time to time of things that done so that when our children, after we croak and our children find it, they'll go, oh, I didn't know Daddy did that. And we, because we didn't want you to know before we're dead. But, you know, it's interesting how when someone dies that you love, you want to know everything about them. Why do you write obituaries when a loved one dies? Because you want the whole world to know how wonderful that person was that you loved. When my sister died, she was a writer. She was, Cheryl was very creative. She expressed herself with words very eloquently. She had started writing a book. She had written many poems and she was an English major and an English teacher and she was just a very creative person. She started a book and she had a rough draft completed and, but she died before she could finalize it and see it published. When she died, I wanted to read everything she had written. I asked mom and dad to, and I still have it, I brought it home. I wanted to read everything, every poem. She used to write for open windows. Some of you have read her devotionals in open windows. She always wrote in October. I wanted to read all of those. Because see her, the thing she wrote about was the testimony of what God had done in her life. See, Cheryl was a pastor's daughter who went astray. Her life got really messed up. Really messed up. She battled with guilt and depression. She felt unworthy for a long time. But she was redeemed by God. Changed and transformed by His love. And the things she wrote about was the power of God's love to broken women, specifically. But in general, broken people. And that's what I want my kids and my grandkids to know. I want it to pass out. Cheryl never had kids. But when I read those words, it was like passing it to another generation. It was one of those things that God used in my life to demonstrate to me the power of His love can conquer any sin, shame, guilt, fear, worry. There's a written record. I want to challenge you today who are parents and grandparents. You want to leave something to your kids? You could leave them a grand inheritance. Likely, you won't. But what they could inherit is praise, trust, hope, dependence on, faith in the Almighty God. By watching your life, by hearing, and even the things you write for them to read later in their life. Leave them something 
that will teach them and demonstrate to them the praise of the Lord. What good is praise? It teaches future generations about God. It makes God big in our eyes. It lifts our soul above our circumstances. Would you bow with me? As June plays... I know that there, every person here probably has some problem, some burden, some need. Jesus is inviting you. He's the one who was sent by God to carry that burden. It may be a sin burden. It may be that you're loaded down with a, a weight of sin and shame and guilt. And you've been hiding it from God. You've been running from God hoping God doesn't see it and won't send you to hell for it, but God sees it. The only way to overcome it, the only way to get rid of it is you've got to bring it to God. You've got to give that sin burden to Him. That, you do that by confessing that sin, admitting that it's sin, and, and giving it to Him and saying, God, I, I'm getting rid of this sin. I, I want to give it to You. And when you do, what happens is God gives you an abundance of forgiveness, an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, and frees you from the penalty of that sin. But whatever your burden this morning, give it to Jesus. Ask Him to lift your eyes off of your problem. And you have to choose this morning. You have to choose to stop staring at your problem and start staring and gazing upon Christ and what He's done for you. Ask God to help you praise Him, to see Him big and huge in your life. Like David, like Joshua, like Caleb. Don't look at the giants. The giants are puny in comparison to God. Look to God. Ask God to help you to do that. Psalm 148.13 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and the heaven. Ask the Lord to help you teach your future generations, your children and your grandchildren, even your great-grandchildren, praise of God show them that you have problems that you have needs that you have burdens share those with them and pray with them teach them to depend upon God for those and to hope in him
Father, we come to you this morning admitting how much we need you. Father, we give you our burdens and our worries and our fears, our problems, our needs, our even our sin. As disgusting as it is, Lord, we don't think we can give it to you because you're so